Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi and welcome to Streets Ahead, your podcast dedicated to all things cycling, walking and wheeling, in the UK and beyond. I'm Autonomous Sally. My name is Ned Bolton. I'm Laura Laker. And I'm Adam Tranter. And in this uh, action, literally action-packed episode, Laura is going to take a ride in an almost autonomous car. But before we get to that, Adam, what have you been up to? Because we know what Laura's just been up to, I've already spilled the beans. What's been ticking your boxes recently? Just, I've been building a, an old bicycle up into sort of a Dutch bike, which has kept me uh, entertained. I've been discovering the woes of uh, electric charging infrastructure. My wife now has an electric car that she, she does a couple of long journeys every week. And uh, I've been trying to get it installed like a point on my house, um, on the side of my house for like what seems like a month and a half now. And then every time I go to go and get it charged somewhere, someone else is using the charger and there's always like an awkward chat about it. So uh, I've been spending most of my life being owned by cars, basically. That sounds like my experience of, do you remember the fuel strike years and years and years ago when eventually, I mean, all the, all, there was, you know, they run out of petrol, didn't they? Almost within about 24 hours and everyone panicked. And then some of the garages for essential workers only would allow you to put five pounds worth of petrol in or something like that. And it coincided with the coincided with the weekend that I won in a raffle the use of a Ferrari for no re- for no reason whatsoever. I'd forgotten I'd even en- entered the raffle and then I got this Ferrari spider delivered to my house. And um my other half, my partner is a nurse and um I put her in the front in the passenger seat. <laughs> And I just went from petrol station to petrol station, putting five pounds worth of petrol in. <laughs> and the five, oh pounds, the five pounds of petrol would just about get me to the next petrol station. <laughs> Amazing. It's, it wasn't <laughs> a very ethical thing to do <laughs> with hindsight. Oh but it was a long time ago. I've come on a long journey since then. Um, Laura, <laughs> I quite, quite regret telling you that. But anyway, Laura, what have, what have you been up to? 
Well, I'm out. I was obviously, I'm obviously out of out of isolation a long time ago, and I've been making up for uh, for being trapped at home by cycling a lot. Brilliant. Cycling across town. Yeah, it's great actually. I've been over to Hampstead. I've been using my e-bike with abandon. I've been out to the North Circular to pick it up. Got fixed. And I've been, yeah, and everywhere I go, there seems to be like a new cycle lane or a new low traffic area. And mm. um, it's been amazing. I even went out to the North Downs the other weekend doing a test ride for Timmy Mallet, who also is also keen on cycling. A friend <laughs> was taking him out on a gravel ride to introduce what? him to um, a friend at Cycling UK was taking him out on a gravel ride to introduce him to cycling because he's a big cycling enthusiast, apparently. So he and a vicar... Uh, his local vicar went out on on the North Downs, and I think they bivvied out. And then, yeah, so we did the test ride just to check it was uh, it was suitable for Timmy Mallet. So that was that was quite fun. I mean, I got so many questions about that, but uh, that would fill up. <laughs> that's not what the podcast is about. It would it would, it would fill. It, yeah, we'd better concentrate on the on the matter in hand. Actually, just briefly before we get on to talking about autonomous travel. I'm in Germany at the moment for work and um, I've just come back from borrowing a hotel bike and cycling into the very beautiful town of Schwerin where I'm, I'm staying on the outskirts. So obviously, I'm in a big hotel on the ring road. <laughs> but um, it, it, what was quite interesting was I, I, I kind of tried to follow their network of Germany's network of, you know, psychopaths. And it, it was certainly better than what we've got back home, but it wasn't without its confusions and its inadequacies. So, I mean, they do some stuff, very basic stuff, much better than we do, like prioritizing mm. the psychopaths when they when they cross an intersection, you know. But they are pretty confusing as well. And uh, yeah. oca occasionally, I'm afraid, they too just give up. They don't actually have a, a standardized sign that says cyclist dismount, but they do occasionally just throw you into the road and say, good luck. So... Um, <laughs> They're better than the UK, but not a five-star situation. No, not really. No, no. Um, but Ned, you found yourself going viral recently with you sort of looking at cycle lanes and priorities across side roads. That I was know, incredible. I, just, I, I, got, I was angry. I was, on a, I was up in the northeast and I was on a really crap bit of infrastructure um, along this beautiful bit of coastline just north of Sunderland. And it was just classic. It wasn't particularly unusual in the sense that, you know, it's, it's just everywhere all over the UK, isn't it? It was one of those very, very narrow cycle paths that you share on a crumbly, you know, um, pavement while a, a road rattles along alongside you. And every 200 metres at least, you were giving way to little side roads. And it, it just struck me as an opportunity to, because it was such a bad or good example of bad infrastructure, just to say, to do an explanatory non-ranty video i don't think it's particularly ranty just saying this is the reason why if you've ever wondered why cyclists a lot of cyclists just ignore this infrastructure this is why and i i thought i'd put it up there and it would kind of get a niche couple of thousand people watching it but actually last time i looked i think quarter of a million people have viewed it um Blimey. And uh, it really struck a chord. So that was yeah. that was interesting. So maybe we could revisit yeah. that subject in some point in the future. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I saw that. It, it needed to be said. I was um I went out with my sister and some of her colleagues on a on a little walk uh, over the summer and this very nice older lady was saying that um telling I told her I I'm I like cycling and um she told me a story about her daughter who was in Exeter and there's a cycle lane on the pavement and there was a cyclist not on the pavement going down this hill and the daughter got angry with the cyclist yelled at them as they went past and then realized that the light up the up ahead was about to go red and so sped through the red light to get away mm -hmm. from 
potential repercussions with with the cyclists and I, I, it's hard to know how to how to address that I mean I said well, you know sometimes people don't use the pavement cycle paths because they're problematic maybe they were going too fast they didn't feel like it was safe but yeah she kind of seemed to think it was all right and that yeah breaking the law in one way was was okay if you got to yell at someone on a bike <laughs> was she saying this as if this was your fault Laura like you could have a word with your fellow cyclists I don't know. To she, was such a, she was genuinely a lovely lady but yeah there's this kind of disconnect that we have between like you know I don't know how we treat people and then how we treat people when they're on bikes but uh, yeah, it was quite, it was quite interesting. We've probably all had a conversation like this at some point. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, I think we do, we do sometimes just have to sort of, we, we're often treated as if we're, we're kind of spokespeople for, you know, an entire yeah. community or representative of an entire community yeah. of people. It's, it's nuts. But it did need um, saying. But so, so, so cycling and cyclists are one of the problems that you encountered on your little, um, or one of the potential problems you you thought you might encounter on your little yeah. uh, your little trip My in an George. autonomous car. Just yeah. to give some some context to what we're about to hear, driverless cars, connected and autonomous vehicles, or AVs is the acronym, are coming apparently. But they are a solution to a problem. But are they a solution to a problem, or are they just tech for tech's sake? That's the question. The UK, as a government, is betting big time on AVs. The government wants to make the UK a hub for this technology and has invested 200 million quid into research and development already. Government estimates that by 2035, AVs will be worth nearly 42 billion, creating around 38,000 new jobs. How do they work that out? (laughs) And also somehow delivering on commitments to, quote, build back greener. That's the government's connection, not ours. It estimates 40% of new cars sold by 2035 could have self-driving capabilities. Lane-keeping technology could be on UK motorways by the end of the year, so long as you don't drive um, at more than 37 mph. So this is being trialled at the moment in various different ways. The Endeavour trial, launched in March 2019, is run by Oxbotica, the Oxford Robotics Company, with DG Cities, Immense, TRL, BSI and the Oxfordshire County Council. We sent Laura Laker to investigate. Yeah, okay, so we're at Project Endeavour, and you are... My name is Balaj, and I work at uh, DG Cities, yeah. and we have been working on the Project Endeavour for about two, two and a half years now. And you're, are you a robotics expert? So no, I'm, I'm, unfortunately I'm not. Because <laughs> <laughs> I noticed it's sort of, yeah, because we've got, like, Oxbotica, you've got DG Cities, and you've got Immense, so like three different... Yeah, so, and then also kind of TRL, yeah. Oxford Street Council Council, and, and BSI, kind of... Yeah. So the six organisations have been working on this project as a consortium. So as DG Cities, our role has been mainly around understanding kind of the public perception of autonomous vehicles. This is why we have kind of a public trial as well, to be able to bring people into the vehicles and start this discussion, think about what people think and and feel about the vehicles, but also to start understanding how we can kind of best uh, use these vehicles in in the future and also we have been looking at how cities might be thinking about AVs and in what sort of mobility challenges autonomous vehicles might be able to solve in the future kind of how how technology can be developed in a way which actually works for for these stakeholders and yeah. for cities and for people yeah because um, obviously there's potential people are quite bad at driving like we're quite good at crashing and there's a lot of road deaths every year but then the avs have their own challenges like 
not very good at spotting people who cycle or like unpredictable movements and like how does that work in a city environment? I think you know, a lot of it is being solved and hopefully you will see in your, in your journey today kind of um, how well the vehicles are kind of yeah. picking up these challenges and kind of reacting to them. I think what we're also looking at is how people then react to the autonomous vehicles and what they think about it because we don't think that this technology can be kind of widely adopted unless kind of people accept it and kind of yeah. people also embrace it. So that's one of the things that we're working on. And similarly, cities as well. So AVs is, autonomous vehicles are a technology. They're not kind of a solution to any specific problem. So we're trying to understand what the problems are in a, in a kind of an urban transport setting. Yeah. And to see how AV as a technology can be used to solve that challenge. Yeah. So, you know, it could mean, you know, specialized vehicles or it could mean kind of minibus services or kind of larger bus services. Kind of, there are various ways that kind of city challenges can be answered and that's what we are trying to look at. Yeah, okay. It's like an Uber map. So we, have, yeah. we have four vehicles uh, today running um, in Kidbrook yeah. and we do kind of a figure eight um, loop. So yeah. it has sort of roundabouts, intersections, pedestrian crossings, yeah. all sorts of um, what, what we call a kind of transport challenges in a way or yeah. kind of traffic challenges. So these are, um, okay, the junctions themselves, but... Are they they're kind of main roads, so it's going to be like mainly other vehicles on them? There are lots of other vehicles lots of and other cyclists vehicles. and pedestrians. Okay. Yeah. okay. Cool. It's, um, this is a fully public trial, yeah. um, which means that public can come, but it's also on public roads. Yeah. So it's whatever is happening on a, on a road yeah. is what the autonomous vehicles are dealing yeah. with. This is kind of why we are very excited about it, because this is... I think the first time that we are doing it in the UK. So you've been doing these trials? So we started trials for the, the public this week. Yeah. Um, but we have been kind of running trials as part of this project since the end of last year. So we did a trial in Oxford and one in Birmingham. Uh-huh. Because of COVID, we couldn't have people in the vehicle. Can I have a go on the VR thing? Yes. Yeah, so oh, there's a little queue. One of the guys, I think you're next, definitely. <laughs> okay. So. Right. Thank you. So we've got the headset. Yeah. If you could put uh, just the mask. Oh, okay, yeah. So I feel like abandoned now. <laughs> These things make me a bit queasy sometimes. Oh yeah, I've got sunglasses on my head. There's too many things around my face now. I don't know what's going on. Thank you. Okay. Oh yeah, I've got the thing. I've got my mic thing. Where's the fluffy bit there? So I press a button on the side. Ooh. Down, that that one. Okay, oh my gosh. Wow, ooh, I can do today or tomorrow. Today, and then I can go play. Ooh. Welcome to the Project Endeavor VR experience. <laughs> Make sure you look all around you. Okay, okay. All right, so we just had to go in the um, virtual pod thing. What do you call it? It's like a little bus thing, like a little yeah. mini bus pod, the headset on. I got to wear a little bandit mask. Yeah, so you get a little ride around the... Um, what else? the Tomorrow video. Yes, I watched the Tomorrow video, yeah. So they have this kind of pod where you drives itself, obviously, and then there's about six to eight seats inside. And then on the VR headset, you get in there and you ride around and different passengers get on and off. And then they have this bike lane in the middle of the road. It's two-way. Yeah, obviously the vehicle detects other people on the road via camera, radar, and LIDAR. 
and pieces them all together to create a picture of um, of the road and what's happening and who's where and what the movements are of different passengers. It was striking. They had a section at night and um, where passengers get in and out. It was quite interesting, but maybe didn't feel quite as safe as having a driver there. That was their vision of the future. So then I went outside and I spoke to Stephen Kybird, who is the field engineering lead at Oxbotica. So you work for Oxbotica, so you yep. are the robots people. We are the robots people, yes. Yeah, okay. So this is like a robot, a driving robot, Yeah. basically. Our pitch is uh, universal autonomy. So uh-huh. we have one uh, software stack that we call Selenium that runs yeah. uh, on road, but we also deploy it off-road in mining environments, in oh. ports, in lots of different areas. Wow. So our, we're here, we're demonstrating uh, on-road taxi services uh-huh. uh, and, and mobility services. But uh, the first place we'll be deploying our technology is not uh, on the road. It's in other uh, more constrained environments to move uh, goods as well as people. Because it's not just about kind of a car mm-hmm. and taxis. It's about how we, as Paul likes to say, we as a species move things. Yeah. So um, what kind of stuff are you talking about? What kind of environments? So uh, mostly constrained environments where you can be quite confident on the things that you might meet there aren't going to be small children running around motorways are we talking no talking about refineries talking about mines Ah, talking about ports those kind of industrial applications where yeah the whole environment is far more constrained you don't have lots of different cars driving around and people who might not be most excellent drivers as it were (laughs) going around Um, so you yeah all, all nicely constrained the people the vehicles everything about it is more constrained uh, and that makes it a somewhat easier problem to solve. Yeah. Um, and that's where we're aiming for the initial deployments of the, of the technology. Okay. So not looking at all like this. It wouldn't be a Mondeo. It yeah. would be... A um, truck or like a, a mega truck. You get those mega trucks in places like Australia in mines, don't yeah. you? Yeah. With big operations, big vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. So it would be a big truck in a, on like a road. There's nothing else on it in a, in a mine environment. Like a quarry other trucks, or a, other trucks, yeah, and and yeah, other trucks, other vehicles uh, moving around, but all also driven either also autonomous or driven by Sorry other. Uh, Could you maybe take the conversation over to the over to the bus stop? stop. Yes. Yeah, and uh, when you hear on the radio your AV is ready, you can follow the path into the. Coach. Okay, okay. So we're walking over to the. It's trying to get them in before the rides in before a deadline or. Yeah, well, so we've uh, been here for a few weeks and uh, preparing. Uh, and mapping the route, you can see here, yeah. uh, you've got one of the cars there out on the route, and yeah. and that sort of dark uh, line is the route. We're yeah, basically here. looks like an Uber map, doesn't yeah. it? So we've been here for a few weeks uh, mapping that, mm. and then we had, and um, this is the end of the second week, yeah. we've got three weeks of uh, demonstrations, um, and so we've got yeah, getting members of the public into the cars, um, our partners, DG Cities, Balash might have told you about, some of the research they're doing and looking at the interactions with um, with people and getting into autonomous cars and how might that work and, yeah. and how might the services um, yeah. Yeah, work at some point in the future when that, that's sort of ready to be rolled out. Yeah. It's quite... Passenger, Ooh. Is now ready for departure. Please approach the vehicle using the mark lane. Use both sides of boarding and have a safe trip. All right. I have to use the mark lane and go over here. Yes. All right. Thanks, Steve. No worries. Okay. Got a car with a big... Um, with like a load of cameras on top. In we go. Go in here. Hello. Hello, I'm Laura. Can I come in? This is exciting. Yes, I'm doing a podcast. Okay, no problem. That's okay. 
So we're in the car. We've got a, there's a little screen facing me in the back. We've got two people in the front. What's your names? So my name's Tristan. Tristan. Um, I'm, I'll be the safety driver. Yeah. This is Dan. He'll be the ACSO. Hello. Hi. What we're going to do is we're going to do a, like a figure of eight around Greenwich. Um, yeah. It's about a 25 minute lap okay. that we'll be doing. Okay. Um, whilst we're on the route, we probably won't communicate too much because yeah. we'll be concentrating and making, making sure everything's mm -hmm. as safe as possible, especially myself yes. um, as I'm in the driver's seat. Can um, I get you to put your bag on the floor? Yes, you I certainly can. The danger of it flying around. Yeah. We'll just Sorry, it's because I cycled oh, here and I always end up with loads of stuff. Oh, that's alright. God knows. Yeah, God knows what's in there half the time, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I'll put my seatbelt on. So we've got this quite cool screen in the front. It's like a lap. Well, it is a laptop, and you. We're in a car park off the side of the road, and then there's a road. A sort of. It's like a bit of a dual carriageway, isn't it? And we can see on the screen all the vehicles going past in little. Um, little boxes, boxy shapes. Yeah, it's, it's one of the viewers I have, and it basically shows what the car is perceiving. Yeah. Um, and what the car's planning to do, so I can uh, make sure it's it's doing something sensible. And if it's not, I can let Tristan know, and he can take control. Yeah. So it's it's kind of got a plotted route. You're sitting in the driver's seat, Tristan, uh, but you you don't sort of touch the steering wheel unless you have to, or the pedals. Exactly, unless there is a, a reason to for safety. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, if you're ready, um, yes. we'll start the route. Okay, okay. great. Thank you. We're setting off. The steering wheels are going steadily. We've got another car coming in. Vehicle's going steadily. It's funny, the steering wheel's turning it all by itself. Tristan, your foot's kind of hovering over the accelerator at the moment. Yeah, so I can revoke autonomy by using the, uh, the steering wheel or the brake or the accelerator. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just uh, just if it needs, if I need to, I, I, I can use those revokes. Yeah, you kind of your hands are hovering. His hands are hovering by the steering wheel and foot's hovering by the accelerator, but the vehicle's pretty much just driving itself and it's now it's breaking we've come to some traffic lights wow these screens are quite cool we've got the kind of radar or lidar in one screen and then the boxes of the shapes of all the cars on the other and we're off again we are going into the junction we're turning left Wow, we are self-driving, going dead on 30, and now there's some traffic up ahead, and we are slowing down. And I've got this kind of picture in the back of, I don't know if it's radar or LIDAR, but you've, it's like... Um, That's the LIDAR from the top, is it? Yeah. It's kind of cool because... It's kind of rings, concentric rings around the car and then you get these contours of other vehicles and I can see people walking by on the pavement and their shadows, weirdly, in these lines. It's quite surreal. It's like standing in a dark street at night with a torch and then you get these shadows and these patches of light and dark but they're all in these rings that are concentric from the car. Kind of amazing. Now we're in kind of a queue of traffic coming to a roundabout. So we're um, on the roundabout. I think it went to accelerate, but there was another car coming round 
Did you have to put your foot on the brake? Yeah. So yeah, it was going to pull out, but people go quite fast around roundabouts and there was someone whizzing round on our right, so Tristan had to put the brake on. Bit of a sharp stop. Now we're on the dual carriageway, it's quite smooth. It's not going to speed, which is one good thing. <laughs> oh. There was a bit of a pedestrian crossing, it kind of stopped midway and the pedestrian light went green, but luckily there wasn't too much traffic, we, got, we went forward. And now we're on another roundabout. Not much traffic on this one, it's quite a big roundabout, going left. And yeah, off we go again. Whizzing away. Back up to 30. Oh my gosh, there's some kids on e scooters on the bike lane. <laughs> Two up. <laughs> that was on the other side of the road. Wow. Some people in the van next to us, I'm not sure. They're looking at the car, I'm not sure if he's like semi-interested. It is quite a funny looking thing with the camera equipment on the roof, big white camera equipment. It's funny, it makes these tiny adjustments at the steering wheel, just like you would when you're driving. It's just turning by itself. <laughs> now we're on the road with the bus lane on the left. And there's a man on the bike on the right. I can see him in the LiDAR. Coming the other way. Motorbike just went up the bus lane on the inside. I saw that. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> there's another of the Endeavour cars coming out from the right. <laughs> to wait to turn right. So you put your foot on the brake then just because we were turning right and there was no, oncoming traffic. Oh, you didn't have to. No, no. Close, maybe. Yeah, you had it hovering just yeah. in case, yeah. Because the cars on the other, coming the other direction had slowed right down for a pinch point, so they were almost stopped. So I guess there would have been a temptation, maybe, if a car can be tempted. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got, always got my feet near the pedal, yeah. in case you need to revoke. But um, yeah, in I can that see. situation, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a situation where we were yeah. close to where I expected it to do something abnormal. So yeah. they're just always hovering in that position, just, yeah. just in case for safety. So you're kind of shadow driving really, aren't you? Your feet and your hands are in the right place, but you're not like touching unless, yeah. We just passed off a cyclist, but they're in a little lane, one of these lanes with the little pairs of wands. Uh, we just had a um, ambulance pulling across a little distance up ahead, but it braked anyway. Got a moped up ahead. It's kind of breaking a little bit. It's got like a bit spooked, I think, by the moped. Oh, it's confused by the bollards. It's a little bit, a bit closer to the car than it would like, so it's oh. just slowing down very slightly. Oh, the pairs of bollards on the cycle lane. 
doesn't seem to be doing it anymore. But for a second there, it was it was like a it was spooked. I mean, it's incredibly complex what's going on, isn't it, with all of the sensors and. Certainly, there's lots of um, lots of computation and lots of information that's yeah. processed in order for the car to to kind of process the situation and do what it needs to do. Yeah. Oh, that was an orange light. Is that why it made that woo noise? Yeah, exactly. It's um, effectively it needed to get through. It didn't want to. Didn't want to stop all of a sudden. Yeah, because it kind of went orange as we went through, didn't it? Yeah. Now we're on a roundabout. We are going fully round the roundabout, and I think this is the end of our little route, and we're on our way back now. Did you steer it into the right lane there? No. No, it didn't. It did it itself. Wow. Because it's there's a kind of the start of the cycle lane along this quite wide road, but at first it's just painted before you get these pairs of bollards again. A, a manual confirmation for the slightly dangerous areas. Oh, okay. Compressor button here. So in certain areas we we manually confirm things. Oh. Entries to roundabouts and merging with lanes. So it's, it's kind of asking you a question? Exactly, yeah. Just trying to keep things as safe as possible because yeah. we are the, the minority on the road yeah. in an autonomous vehicle. Yeah. So it's kind of asking you if it's doing the right thing. We just had a, um, a bus pulled in, uh, a bus stop, and um, uh, you're kind of clicking the indicator on the left. That's, that's the last thing I missed. So it junctions and, and merges and overtakes that are wider than half a meter. So mm. if an overtake is, is less than half a meter, the vehicle will do it uh, fully autonomously. Um, but if it's wider than that, then I'll manually confirm it. So you're talking about the size of the vehicle you're overtaking? So it's the distance away from the center line. So oh. how, kind of how many meters you are moving to the right to get around the bus effectively. Okay. So so if it were a um, like a recessed bus stop, it wouldn't have a problem, or like a semi-recessed bus stop. But because the bus was still sticking out into the lane a lot, it asked, it had to ask. Exactly. So if if, if it could have gone round the bus by only moving 0.5 of a meter, it would have done that on its own. Okay. Um, but if it's larger than half a meter, it requires a confirmation that it's safe to proceed. Mm. And um, if you if you meet someone cycling, and, and how does it go around them in the absence of a cycle lane? How much kind of space does, does it give people? So it does detect cyclists and it will slow down for them. However, mm. our operating procedure says that um, if we are kind of close to a cyclist, we will we will revoke autonomy and Tristan will take control. So cyclists are vulnerable road users, so we um, effectively uh, take control if we're too close to them. Oh. So, if, if we, so if we were to overtake a cyclist, for example, in, a, in an area without a dedicated cycle, then yeah, Tristan so would take control and do that himself. Okay. Okay. So vulnerable vulnerable road users, we don't we don't want to um, you know get too close to. Them. Yeah. And we're off. We've got some people walking along the middle of the road. Oh, that was okay. Oh! We had an amber light, so it's slammed on the emergency stop. Oops! What was it doing? So because the light went amber at the very, very last minute, mm. we, we stop on 
on Amber in those circumstances, if, if we're able to do so. It was right on the threshold, oh, okay. so the car threw the brakes on, but it wasn't going to stop before the annotated junction, which is ahead of the actual junction. So effectively it gives control back to Tristan um, so that he can make sure that we come to a stop safely. Okay. There's a kind of a little bit of a lurch in between those two. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem to. I was expecting it to get spooked by those two guys. They'd kind of walked halfway across the, junk, the mouth of this quite wide junction um, and then realised they couldn't go the full way and they were walking down the middle of the road, basically, waiting for a break in the traffic. But um, the car didn't seem to get spooked by them. Oh, and we're back. Back in the car park. It was good. It was okay. good. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for a, for a smooth ride and for getting us around the course. Yeah, and, I enjoyed it. Um, so after I got out of the car, I found two of the other uh, members of the public who'd been on the uh, AV. It was Krishnan and Naranjan who kindly agreed to speak to me about their experience and who happened to actually work in the field. Yeah. Yes. Happy, happy. So, um, so I'm Laura. What are your names? Naranjan. Naranjan. Krishnan. And Krishnan. Yeah. Nice to meet you both. What did you think? You've just been in the yes. AV as well. Yes. What were your thoughts? Um, well, for me, I think it was really fascinating to just see how the technology could work. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was I was telling Krishnan that um, if I if I was in a car where there was no human sitting in front of the wheel, like it would be even more mind-blowing uh, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time like it like I think everyone needs to go through a learning curve where people need to understand the technology so they can believe it can work yeah so you need to have that human interface in the yeah. beginning yeah uh, but no I think it, it has great potential and I'm yeah. quite excited about it yeah so were you excited beforehand that's why you signed up you like oh yeah yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. You're like, um, you're like, yeah you're kind of into the this yeah idea. and and, and I, I kind of work in this space as well in the automotive industry um so i'm probably a bit more aware of what's happening yeah. in that space what do you do uh, i'm a consultant so i work on the consultancy side okay um, like technology uh strategy okay strategy consulting okay. uh operational consulting okay. uh, so helping car manufacturers with exactly these problems like how do you make customers pay for them um, how do you sell services around them and that kind of, oh, that okay. kind of stuff? What are you yeah. What's your thinking? Um, I think that uh, it's it's going to take a while uh, for people to get used to the technology. Yeah. Um, and then it's going to take a while for people to pay for the technology. Yeah. So I think that there's a there's a steep learning curve. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be a while, but I'm I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. And what sort of form do you think people will pay f pay for the services? Are you thinking a pod like we saw in the yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It could be like uh, you know Tesla does today. Like they they're able to switch on and switch off self-driving software in cars. Yeah. So people will, will pay additional money for that technology. Ah, okay. So what they're doing is they they build cars to have all the hardware required, and then they build a software that then they charge people for. Mm -hmm. So that's different ways in which they they are making money. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's always a numbers game. It's 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 knowing when you can really charge people and what value you can charge them at. Yeah, I can imagine at the moment. I mean, not that the technology is ready yet, because I don't know about you, but there were a couple of moments there where it was like the the thing was a bit confused. Yeah, but yeah. it's not there yet. But I mean, yeah, I imagine it would be hella expensive. <laughs> yeah, right now, yeah. Uh, but maybe yeah. in the future, you know, we'll get there. Like with EVs, yeah. uh, it's the same story. And EVs now. It's taken a long time, but we are 
getting there and you still have the infrastructure challenges yeah. around electric vehicles. Yeah. But it's, 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 you know, it's, 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 the industry needs to take that journey to get there. Yeah. And Krishna, do you work in this? Do you work in this field as well? In fact, I work for Oxpotica. Oh, do you? Which is why I'm keeping quiet, and I don't want to influence. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing there is, um, it's all about data, and the more data you have about the environment, the better the vehicles can perform over time. Um, Like you said, it it might feel like um, a a new learner driver driving uh, on the road right now, but it's exactly that. You know, uh, it is a new technology. It's experiencing. If you think of it as a as an entity, yeah, uh, it is learning. It's going through the process of learning and understanding the environment around us. Mm-hmm. So, um, with time, with data, uh, and with uh, a lot of different environments coming together, like B two X vehicle to anything communication. In the future, traffic signals could could start speaking to the vehicles. These vehicles are now being developed with the, the worst case in mind mm. so that we are safe. Yeah. Um, in that, uh, you know, you don't have to have anything communicating to the vehicle for it to get, get to autonomy. Yeah. But it is also uh, built with, with, with the intent to accept da- a plethora of data mm-hmm. uh, coming to them. So, so the more data rich the environment, mm-hmm. the better the vehicles will learn and the faster the vehicles will learn and adapt to yeah. the situations as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you think the reason is for this technology? Because obviously technology is great, but it's not an end in itself. What, yeah. what is the purpose of, of, these, of this technology for you? Yeah, but, so uh, you, you, can, you can start to see the benefits of this in various different um, realms of life. Uh, cost uh, is definitely one consideration. So right now, if, if, uh, to make it real, if you look at an, um, uh, a different environment from on-road, um, uh, say for example a refinery which is a kilometer long mm-hmm. and you have multiple different people running around um, in, in uh, manual vehicles right there uh, and their sole purpose is to actually get the vehicle from A to B there. Those are relevant use cases that, are, that you can actually start to see the benefit right now. Mm-hmm. So when you look at that kind of a scale of operation, yeah. the operational cost starts to come down when you, when you adapt autonomy. Uh, one person can actually start to manage much more than what they can do right now uh, with the same level of confidence, same level of safety and so on and so forth. So these are live situations that we are actually having conversations, having trials around um, and so on, uh, where the supply network within a a refinery could be significantly automated with autonomous vehicles actually um, taking uh, stuff from A to B and so on. Uh, safety is the other other angle. Hazardous situations where uh, you have a safety risk where you, you wouldn't want to put people in and so on. So these are situations that are uh, relevant right now. When you translate this to the future, the uh, uh, same can be translated to a on-road environment as well. So if you look at a uh, situation where uh, the, 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 the uh, vehicle starts to learn all of these things and at some point in the, in the future you'd start to then see operational benefits. Um, the cost of travel and transit should, at that point in time, come down. There is a there is a journey there to be had. You can start to optimize the whole city. The city planning element uh, could be significantly uh, different in the future because of autonomous vehicles, because of availability of data. Uh, when you put all of that together at a super system level, uh, that is when it it will take time for us to reach there. One single autonomous vehicle on the road will not help it. <laughs> but when, that, when it is adopted in scale, um, that is when operational benefits at a, at a you know, city level can uh, start to kind of uh, materialize. Yeah. So we're talking about like um, those little pods kind of flying around. Yeah, yeah. Th- those little pods uh, flying around and 
uh, once you start to kind of integrate into, into your city plan right now our cities are developed with uh, you know vehicles that are you know manually driven in mind yeah when you start to uh, you know change this discourse and when you start start to think about how uh, we can um, uh, utilize uh, the this this data that is coming out to to do our planning within the city uh, better like like you saw on the in the example in the future world yeah. where you have open spaces where you have more spaces for people to cycle around but also operate autonomous vehicles on the side safely in that kind of an environment those operational costs as well as, as well as the way we utilize spaces within the city yeah. that could differ um, but these are all possibilities um, and i saw i saw a bit of nodding um, what, what, are you are you kind of in agreement is that it, what's the purpose of them for you well i think that um, you know ultimately for me it's how can we get people moving more efficiently mm. quicker uh, economically and in a way that the environment uh is being protected and autonomous technology ticks all of those boxes you know the potential is there so i think at that very kind of base level there is a lot of potential for it uh it's the way the world will move i have no doubt i think that that's the future for us uh it's just how quickly and efficiently we can get to that place um yeah, yeah i mean i guess um i guess cars are efficient for certain journeys but not most journeys and not like the way that we're using them now so i don't know how the efficiency comes in for you because i mean the question is what's your definition of a car so the pod that we saw in the future is a mm. is technically a car right yeah. but it's not a car that you own it's a car that you use to get from a to b so ultimately 100 people using one pod versus one person owning one car mm. it's not the future that that's the future for me right mm. so that's that's where i think this technology is not just limited to like our traditional view of what a car is mm. uh, and and it opens up so many other possibilities yeah. and i think like uh, we're talking pods but also autonomous buses autonomous trains like there's so many other applications we can think of um so yeah i mean you know that 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 tells me that it's it's the place that we need to spend our energy evs picked up now now that's going to pick up and that's going to you know by 2030 50% of the roads uh, the cars are going to be ev yeah. so that's picking up i think next we need to put our energy into autonomous vehicle and 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 help it get yeah. to a place because i do find it interesting and i can see the arguments but also like we already have buses and trains and like a pod is just a kind of a mini bus really isn't it it's like True. a door but without a True. driver and i just think like all this technology and all this money that's going into them it's great but it's like is this just a way of selling more cars or is it actually solving a problem because like you know you could just get more people on buses right and like solve the same problem without all of this like delay like yeah. you know prioritize yeah. bus lanes make buses more attractive yeah um yeah and you're like so, solving the same problem but not like spending all this money so for me i think i think there's there's two answers to that question one is um life saved so i don't know the statistics on number of people who die in car accidents yeah. but the fact of the matter is avs will be safer than humans driving yeah no doubt so i think there's a there's a saving lives angle to this argument yeah number 2 is once you start developing autonomous vehicles i think actually there are very few people who really want to drive cars anymore people will just want the flexibility of having a product mm-hmm. that they don't own but they can use mm-hmm. and i guess from from a to b safely mm-hmm. so actually my expectation is autonomous vehicles will mean less cars on the road mm-hmm. not more cars yeah. so your your kind of argument about is it just about selling more cars i think i think initially there is like people excited about technology will want to buy autonomous cars yeah but ultimately 50 years from now i'd be surprised if my kids own a car like genuinely like i don't own a car i live in central london 
um, that's the urban trend. Mm. But you will see increasingly rural as well. Like they will pick up that trend of why should I own a car unless like I'm a farmer and I need like a vehicle for that yeah. purpose. But otherwise, it's. I, I actually think it's going to less uh, reduce the number of cars on the road. Yeah, that, that's okay. an interesting point there, actually, uh, which you know I didn't uh, you know talk about previously. But the shared economy, right? As in, uh, that will have a purely from a sales point of view, for automotive sales sales point of view, looking into the future, that might eventually reduce the number of cars. There might be more cars on the road mm-hmm. as in, at one given time. If you look at the uh, the utilization of vehicles right now. It's a massive, big metal chunk sitting in uh, a place for yeah. most of the time, <laughs> right? And then it's not not doing anything. Yeah. There's a huge amount of you know if you look at uh, an uh, um, uh, an average uh, monthly expenditure, a significant proportion of an individual salary is locked into a metal j- piece of uh, blob sitting in yeah. the garage. So if you look at that from that perspective, right? Yeah. Uh, autonomous this particular technology and it will kind of uh, be a booster dose, so to say, to the shared economy yeah. where people will tra- start to think about travel not about ownership okay? yeah they, they'll uh, that, that whole realm will kind of explode right now you have zip car and all of, all of the, the other kind of shared uh, vehicle but then they are restricted to people kind of interacting and getting the car from A to B and the logistics behind that yeah. that is one of the biggest challenges in terms of adopting that yeah. kind of a, 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 a commute modality and with autonomous vehicles and if the vehicle can get uh, to wherever it needs to get to, uh, including a maintenance depot, refueling, and all of those things are all done by the way automatically. Yeah. Then people will really start adopting that, and then they'll start thinking about uh, travel, not ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they'll start thinking about subscription models to um, uh, to move from A to B. How much does it cost? You know, the whole uh, um, uh, dialogue and the conversation around that would shift. Yeah. But in order for that to happen, the vehicles need to start moving by themselves, yeah. and which is the journey that we are on. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. That's really interesting. Well, I think I've got the um, the two kind of best informed attendees uh, of this event. I, I, would, I, I would be so kind. Uh, but no, thank you. And, and what yeah, thank podcast you. do you? It's called you? Uh, it's called Streets Ahead. Streets. So finally, we returned to Balash from DG Cities to talk about um, what they found in their research so far and uh, and when that's coming out. So what kind of sense do you get from your research of how, like, how people feel generally about autonomous vehicles? It's, uh, it's very mixed, really. So yeah. there are lots of people who are super positive. They see very nice kind of use cases for their own lives, kind mm. of can see how it could really kind of help and improve um, kind of yes. their mobility. But there are also people who are kind of concerned. There are genuinely kind of safety concerns. Yeah. Um, so... That's something that we are learning and, and that's something that we are trying to kind of better understand to see how we can maybe change that perception or kind of help to improve almost like the, the image or the, of, of autonomous vehicles. But, you know, always considering that it's not only the image, but actually kind of the technology to kind of reach that level that people can be kind of trusting towards them. Yeah. But there is a definite need to allow people to have a look, have it kind of experience them. And that's kind of why we are doing these trials is because if you, if you never see something, if you're never able to experience it, then how could you kind of make up your own judgment about it? Yeah. So that's why we feel that these public trials and you know, finding other ways of engaging people like the VR are actually quite exciting. Yeah, and do you get a sense of like the proportion of people who think it's a good idea and people who think so it's a bad idea? So we're just running through this, but okay. we're gonna be publishing um, 
kind of the findings of this research in the next uh, two months. Uh, Laura, <laughs> I really enjoyed yeah. that. That was really Thank interesting. You. I love the fact that um, Me too. you you seem to be really enjoying yourself. Yeah. You were, I see. I'm no good at doing those kind of like um, out and about reports because I just feel really self conscious. But you yeah. weren't feeling at all self conscious. You were super chatty, no. weren't you? I love about, it. I love talking to strangers. It's one of my favourite. It always has been. Talk, I love yeah, it when you eventually ju- when you eventually jumped into the AV pod or whatever. You went, "Hello, I'm Laura." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just really nice. The, the start of it, the start of it reminded me of because um, it was quite familiar in many respects because it's a car, but so much of it is so different. It reminded me of the first time you ever go to Subway, the the sandwich shop, where in all intents and purposes they are just sandwiches, but you need to understand so much about how to order them and what order and how the process works that it kind of becomes a bit discombobulating. So um, that's a great yeah. that's a great comparison, Laura. How did you find it? I mean, I was quite struck by you were obviously. It was quite funny the dynamic inside the pod because you were obviously going. Your foot appears to be hovering over the brake pedal there a little bit, doesn't it? And you know, um, but sure enough, within what felt like a couple of minutes at this junction, the um, he he did have to is much sooner than I thought. Yeah. Um, in this trial, he had to, um, the, the operator had to slam the brakes on, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah. And it's quite interesting because when we first set off from the car park, and I didn't say anything because I don't go in cars that often. I sometimes drive myself and my boyfriend sometimes drives us. And But I was so surprised at how quickly they accelerate. And one thing that I learned afterwards in a chat was that um, they started off accelerating quite slowly, but then other drivers got quite annoyed with them because everyone accelerates quickly, gets up to speed quickly and doesn't dally around. And a lot of people don't don't stick to the speed limit even. But yeah, they had to kind of up the acceleration so as not to annoy other drivers, which I thought was amazing because obviously this thing is learning. And so um, me and this other chap were, were chatting um, to someone at Mox Bossica and, and they were saying... I was saying, well, other drivers are going to be teaching it as well as the drivers themselves who are very, you know, you hear from the from the recording that they're very safety conscious. Um, they're really concentrating on the road, but obviously it's a it's an open environment. So they're they're learning from other drivers as well. And other drivers are quite often probably more aggressive than they should be. We're probably more aggressive on the roads than we should be as a society. So yeah, that was quite shock. That was quite a surprise. And so yeah, it tried to it tried to pull out at this roundabout, and there was someone coming from the right in a car, and uh, it was faster than the vehicle had realised. And so the guy had to slam on the well, put on the brakes. That wasn't the that wasn't the kind of main emergency stop, but he did have to have to put the put the brake on there. My sort of takeaway from from listening to your to your um, section was that that there does seem to be some genuine use cases for. Uh, autonomous vehicles to be positive you know that I'd, I hadn't considered you know I think in terms of um, these kind of controlled closed environments yeah, like mines. mining and yeah exactly so I think I think that's um, you know that, that, that that's something I hadn't considered and it does when you've got a very controlled environment it, it makes total sense but one thing I, I I mean I felt quite scared actually like li- listening to that like not just because of what was happening in the vehicle which you know I, I think is sort of quite immersive and, and it felt like um you know we were there with you but also scared that the way everyone was talking was almost sort of apologetically 
kind of trying to justify how this is going to work. It's going to work. And oh, no, don't worry about that. That's just something we do. It works. <laughs> and I don't yeah. worry about it. It's just something we do. And it was, yeah. it was so, um, and that is the, that is the vibe generally that this is this is coming whether we like it or not and we just sort of make the best of it and and it shows your the the situation with what they have to do around cyclists and around the roundabout and the emergency stop on the uh, amber light shows just how far we are away from this i thought actually i don't know what i expected but i thought we'd actually i thought it would be a bit more autonomous than 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 it than it was and it shows just how far away we are and I think at some point people will get impatient in government and, and actually in other places and just say sort of let's just give this a go sort of like have they, they like they have in the US where Teslas are sort of killing quite a lot of people and that that really worries me is that true Adam have Teslas killed people y- yeah I mean um Teslas are the uh law mentioned it the other week um Teslas are the most dangerous of, of of luxury vehicles and there are quite a lot of instances and in news stories where people in the US have been using autopilot and it's just gone dreadfully wrong drunk it, or it in the back seat or asleep happens with in all one sorts case. of horrible frequency yeah yeah the yeah the US auto safety regulators investigating Tesla's autopilot system at the moment following 11 crashes where vehicles in self-drive mode Tesla's in self-drive mode crashed into parked emergency vehicles but yeah it's basically autonomous but you're supposed to keep your hands on the steering wheel but all you need to do is tap the steering wheel every now and again to confirm that you're still in quotes driving um, and people aren't driving. There was there was one person who was drunk. There was someone who was in the back seat. I think someone might have been asleep, and they're just ploughed into some emergency vehicle on the on the side. And yeah, pretty bad. Crikey! I know. I mean, I, I suppose we have to be. You know, every every fatality, whether it's caused by the failings of an autonomous system or caused by bad driving, is uh, shock should be should be shocking shouldn't it should be a cause of mm. great regret and concern so i suppose we do need to be uh, open-minded and evidence-based about all of this and um mm. you know really look look at the potential saving of life if they are to be believed that you know human error on i mean let's face it uh, probably on the same day that the accident you just described happened there were probably multiple cases of um human failure yeah, as well so, yeah. so you know there is I'm not, I would I would still be open minded to know whether certainly on some sort of motorway or dual carriage way settings where there's not traffic lights etc and pedestrians crossing I would be open minded at this point to the possibility that autonomous driving in those conditions at least might be safer. Yeah. I would be. And human error is the number one cause of collisions and that's one of Absolutely. the big selling yeah. points for for autonomous vehicles. Autonomous vehicles can't get drunk, they can't fall asleep at the wheel. I mean, I guess they can malfunction or they can be sure. misprogrammed, but it's yeah, it's obviously a different problem. It's whether one's better than the other, I, I guess it boils down to. I was listening to 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 the to the interviews before we recorded this and then I popped out on my bike to go and get some uh, go and get a sandwich and um <laughs> uh, on the way back I was effectively, uh, probably, I mean, you'd call it a close pass. It was, it was some, some place I definitely wouldn't have overtaken a, a cyclist. And I sort of, you know, it was a battered old Merc and, and I was just like, and there we go, going, clearly going above 30. So I was like, oh, this is, this is, you know, I was thinking, 
would an auto- autonomous vehicle do that? And they clearly would not once they get, if they get this kind of whole cycling overtaken thing done, they are going to be so cautious. Uh, and so they will, they will follow the highway code to the letter of the law because legally they'll have to, which will mean that they'll always give cyclists a meter and a half and probably give them more because the people are writing the code are kind of adding in a buffer. And the reason that guy overtook me is because he thought he could and, and he didn't want to wait. And just going back to what Laura said about people not wanting to wait for autonomous cars to pull out, so they made them a bit faster. I can see a real, I'm not, I can actually better see a future where, I'm not saying it's a good future, but I can better see a future where everything is autonomous. And, and but, but you'll never have that because you'll never have that kind of switchover point where all of a sudden, you know, even just stopping selling new petrol and diesel cars, which is a massively phased approach, is is very, very difficult. So you're going to have this situation where some cars maybe are, are semi-autonomous or autonomous and some aren't. And the ones that aren't are going to get annoyed with autonomous cars who don't overtake cyclists dangerously. And then you get into a situation where I think what they're going to do, what are they, they going to push for? You know, it was the motor industry that basically invented jaywalking uh, as a thing to demonize pedestrians because they were getting in the way and getting killed so they made the pedestrians to be at fault ultimately jay meant dirty hillbilly back in those times and i just wonder what you know i i wonder i suspect that we're going to be looking at a lot more pedestrian kind of pens if you like where you have to sort of be locked in before you can cross the road on on green and things like that because just otherwise the system won't work because there's already been a study in australia that i sent to laura that is asking people you know what should be the penalties for disrupting an electric autonomous vehicle as a pedestrian like should there be fines for example for stepping out in front of them purposefully to make them stop or stop them kind of proceeding when they should be Uh, all this stuff is just so you know mixture of sociology and and the technology it's it's absolutely fascinating uh, if nothing else yeah and this stuff's inevitable i mean i wrote about this well, a few it was a few years ago now but people were talking about it back then it's just inevitable that um some that you're gonna have to stop people from you know imagine kids having a great time like stopping in front of uh autonomous vehicles just for fun like running out into the streets and like seeing seeing how long they can get them to stop for or like get them to judder forward a bit and yeah i don't know how are you going to stop that <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, they used I, to jail I, children in the in the Victorian times. They used to uh, for playing on the street. They used to put them in jail. So maybe they'll do that. Did they? Well, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they've just made up excuses to put children in jail. It's what they they just got their kicks from doing that. I think for some reason the Victorians. So there's virtually nothing that children could do back then that didn't put them in jail. Um, wasn't a great time to be alive for children. Um, <laughs> Um, I was just to say, you know, the inevitability of this creep, though, and and what is, and I thought, I thought, Laura, you made a really good point in one of those interviews with one of the, your fellow travellers in the pod. You kind of let him, let him state his quite. He was quite a believer, wasn't he? He was quite, he was quite an yeah, advocate um, of, yeah. of how this will solve problems and change urban planning and all this sort of thing. Then you you were kind of nodding along and in your in your typical way with your iron fist in your velvet glove. You just um, <laughs> you just came back with, but haven't we got buses? 
Isn't that what buses are for? <laughs> and don't buses already exist? And, but then I thought, you know, you're really the really outstanding point behind that objection is, and I referred to it in my introduction before we heard from your thing, is the the, the scale of investment that the government is putting into this, and, yeah. and uh, uh, the the money that's flowing into this technology could exactly. be. It's frustrating. It could be put to so much better use. Uh, maybe not chasing this questionable holy grail. Yeah, and the time it takes to develop yeah. this technology. Yeah. We could Although, have buses. Ha- we could have, have money say, for I mean, buses. Like, modern cars. I don't own a car, as you know. Um, but uh, for work, just recently, I've had to for bike races that I've been working on. They often provide. They are sponsored in turn by car manufacturers. Bike races, ironically, and one leading manufacturer in particular is heavily invested in in bike racing. Probably won't say its name. And for two races that I've been working on, including the one I'm working on right now, I've been given a brand new car and um i'm quite unfamiliar with brand new cars but this slightly goes into the 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 territory that we discussed a few episodes ago when we were talking about distracting screens and all the sort of super superfluity of technology in the cockpit of a car but they are they already they already have you know there's a creep of semi-autonomous features that are absolutely standard i suspect in most normal or you know reasonably expensive cars and some of them are kind of confusing. Some of them are quite cool. They do sort of feel like they're doing a good job rather than a bad job. Those semi-autonomous <laughs> features, I must what admit. What have you got? Lane, lane keeping. So lane keeping that, that, you know, makes you, if you want to leave your lane, you kind of have to fight the steering wheel a little bit. Um, you have yeah. to push through it. It's quite strange because it kind of creates this, this sort of like this, this, yeah, yeah, it kind of recognizes when you're in a lane. And it is quite startling how, this particular car, I guess, using a combination of radar technology and camera, you know, interpreting the information on forward-facing cameras, kind of knows where it is. So, for example, if you're driving along a dual carriageway and to your, if you can imagine this on your right, you've got a, a dotted line that can indicate you can cross it, you know. And on your left, you've got a solid line because that's the edge of the road. But then sometimes that solid line becomes dotted as you approach a junction as well, doesn't it? Or for other reasons. Um, there's a display right in front of me on in the steering wheel that that says which lane you're in and has a little green thing saying we've got you've we've got you in this lane now. But it also has a solid line if the line in the real world is solid. And as soon as that line changes to a dotted line, it reads that and within a fraction of a second it's it's showing you a dotted line. And it's kind of reassuring and it's very, very accurate. And it's kind of reassuring that it's that good and that reliable. It yeah. does, you know, does does know where it is in there. Your car is exactly. And then there's other thing I noticed last night. So last night, after a long day of traveling, I had to drive from Stralsund to Schwerin, which is a two and a half hour drive. And it was the end of a long day and I got tired and it noticed a few, a few little bits of crap driving on my part it had to warn me oh. repeatedly that i wasn't in the center of the lane which it did and then after i'd done that and, and then i did a slightly i was slightly late just getting onto an exit as well it was like oh christ i've got to get over because now i nearly missed my exit those sort of typical things you do when you're a bit tired behind the wheel that can be fatal you know can result in a really high speed fatal accident it actually said you need to stop we've de- we've detected too many instances of, of tiredness behind the wheel wow and that i thought that was quite interesting that's amazing um, mm. 
It's also it has other bits of technology where they they that are designed, I think, to eradicate that blind spot that you're talk you're all taught about when you're learning to drive, isn't it? The thing that makes you look over your shoulder. Yeah, you have yeah. to because that's the bit you can't see. So it it has a little orange light that that flashes when something is in your blind spot, and um, mm. that catches your eye. And it seems again to be phenomenally accurate. And that could well be a cyclist. It works with the cyclist being there. All that stuff, I think, is pretty positive. But ultimately, it was me behind the wheel, for better or worse, right? And actually, possibly on yesterday's example, for worse, you know, <laughs> it wasn't wasn't yeah. my bet, wasn't my finest moment. So I don't know that I I I don't know where I stand on any of this. That's a long winded way of saying I don't know what to conclude. <laughs> And just quickly, and one one thing that um, Balash said um, that I cut out because the, t- the sound wasn't great was that um, another reason for having this kind of technology would be like, you know, if you go out for a Sunday roast and you have a couple of pints or if you're elderly and living in the countryside and you don't, you can't drive anymore or you're disabled or any number of reasons. So, yeah, just to add to your your reason. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be a hell of a lot of work done before we allow drunk people into autonomous vehicles. <laughs> I mean, like the other thing, the other thing, I know you said, you said that, oh, we've invented buses. Well, the other thing with the, but you've invented taxis. We already have taxis. And, and you know, I think yeah. Uber, Uber is uh, in many ways, you know, not a good organization. And, you know, the, the Ubers are too cheap. Ultimately, they're 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 falsely cheap. They should be about a third more expensive um, than they actually are. Um, and but you know, the, you can get an Uber to the train station or or whatever for five pounds, six pounds. Let's say it should be eight or nine pounds. I can't see autonomous vehicles being any. If we do talk about this kind of future where we don't own vehicles, if that is to be true, I can't see a situation where you know having six or seven pounds worth on a on an autonomous vehicle is going to be any different to having a taxi driver except yeah, you just get rid of the, the driver it yeah, doesn't really it's, solve it's a hard problem. to know because um obviously the uh the huge amount of money that's being spent just making this technology is like has got to be paid back to someone um is the other thing but um yeah just finally one of the one of the points that um i was thinking about listening to it is we have the because of the technology involved, and this is, I think has been the process for the whole of the auto car or the automobile. Is law? You only really spoke to to men, and they all seemed like engineering folk or people who were interested in in engineering, not exclusively. But you know, there was a certain vibe of like, I'm interested in the tech, I'm interested in the future. Our cities could change. This is what it could be like. And I'm very worried because we've learned over the several, you know, decades of modern design of of town and city centres that if you let men design them, they can be pretty damn awful um, and 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 pretty poor in terms of focusing on on the dominant, you know, strong car users and, and forgetting about um, other uh, more vulnerable road users. And there is a vibe, I think, of this like high tech world that. And of yeah. course, the people designing these autonomous vehicles are, 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 you know, are likely to be men sat in rooms without windows, and yeah. and all that and stuff's also, quite troubling, isn't also, it? Also, like, yeah, women don't use cars as much. Women don't have access to cars as much. 
like I said, I was sat in that kind of pod thing at night and I was thinking, hmm, not sure if I, how comfortable I feel without a driver. I mean, if you were just, if it was just you and then someone who looked a bit dodgy got in and started looking at you in a funny way and there's like no one around, I don't know. And it's just, it's, yeah, if you need, if you have like mobility needs um, or access needs that the vehicle can't comprehend. Yeah. There's, yeah. There's certainly a lot of problems. It's, it's a complicated one, but yeah an interesting experience anyway and it it was it was nice to be able to get to share the kind of the experience and but I think ultimately it's it's a sort of solution looking for a problem and and that's that was something that people kind of openly talked about so I mean is that the right way to go about transport or yeah if you're designing something surely you look at the user first what are their needs and then not the technology first yeah well, well very very interesting and it was good to learn that Autonomous vehicles could be used in mines to presumably get more, <laughs> get more fossil, f- get some more coals and fossil <laughs> fuels, so we can build more autonomous vehicles. More faster, bigger, yeah. I think that's what they call the circular economy. Oh dear. Well, Adams, Adams clearly <laughs> made his mind up about autonomous vehicles. But Laura, how, how nice, how nice for you to have got to Kidbrook. That's a, a lovely part of the world, southeast London's beautiful. southeast London's most completely socially cleansed district since My they gosh. tore down they tore down the Ferrier Estate to build presumably that very smart housing estate that you were driving yeah. around. Yeah. It was yeah. I've never, I didn't realise it was like that down there. It's, it's yeah. incredible. Yeah, yeah. It, it didn't Fantastic. used to be until the developers changed everything. Well, um, so there we go. On that note, uh, well done, Laura. Thank you very much. We'll have to uh, think about sending you out on a weekly basis, I think, to do these reports because that was, uh, was very interesting. Oh, and, uh, well, I th- had fun. Thanks, Adam. I'll speak to you when I get back eventually from our travels. And in the meantime, you've been listening to Streets Ahead, as if you didn't know it. Let us know what you think at Pod Streets Ahead. Rate us, review us, and share the podcast with anyone you think might enjoy it. And we'll catch you next time. From me, Ned, goodbye. Bye. 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 Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.